0: As I was thinking about this morning's scripture and sermon, I kept thinking that I should start off with, you know, the typical um, Miss America speech, you know, where they ask, you know, what, if you could have one thing, what would it be? I would wish for world peace. Um, but that's not the kind of peace that we're going to be talking about this morning. It's easy to, to talk about peace in kind of that big overarching world peace because then we don't have the there's not really much we can do about that, right? I don't know how many of us are planning on going to Syria and trying to end world peace or to sorry. <laughs> they're ending world peace. Um, I don't know how many of us are trying to go to Syria and try to start world peace. Um, so so I wanted to look a little bit more on the level of peace in our own individual lives and relationships. Um, we're continuing through James If you've not been with us or if you have been with us and just don't remember what we were doing last week, uh, we've been talking a little bit about um, being doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word and what that means. Uh, So we've talked about justice, we've talked about compassion, we've talked about speech, and this week we'll be talking about, you guessed it, peace. So let us begin by hearing these words from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 4-3 and then verses 7 and 8, just to make it confusing for you all. um, I didn't pick it out that way. That's just the way it goes. So uh, let us hear these words from James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be also disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. You covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's so the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A couple of years ago at annual conference, when we were having a particularly heated discussion, which happens pretty much every annual conference, um, but as we began a discussion on human sexuality, we were asked uh, to join in kind of on a profound image, and as we began this difficult topic, we were told to imagine that, we, we were actually told to all hold our hands out like this. And to imagine that there was a baby bird in our hands. As I recall, the baby bird was meant to represent those whom we disagreed with. In an effort for us to be careful of what we say, so not to crush the baby bird or one another. And as the discussion went on and on, many of us didn't stand there holding our hands like this the whole time, but we were asked to kind of keep that in our heads. As the discussion went on and on and got more intense and more heated, some people had to leave out of frustration, some people walked out out of pain and hurt, as people began to say more and more things that were hateful and hurtful and deliberately meant to try and cut down other people. Eventually, someone who was pretty wise got up and went to a microphone and said, Bishop, I am afraid that we have all crushed our baby birds. What was so painful to me to watch was the fact that church leaders were so willing to hurt one another with words. They were so willing to hurt people that they claimed to love, and yet they were so eager to demonize and destroy them I spent a lot of time after that wondering why we do that. Why we say we love people and then tear them apart with our words. And I think one of the main reasons is just pure self-indulgence. Because you know disagreements and debates are fine, but when we become selfish, they turn into quarreling and factions because we stop listening to one another and we begin to demand our own way. You know, that it's my way or the highway. And so as much as we desire to live in peace, and as much as we desire to be loving towards one another, it becomes pretty apparent that the world around us does not seem to want to live the same way. It seems pretty apparent that we live in a culture that tells us that envy and selfishness are a good thing and that if and even if we don't believe those things it quickly becomes easy for us to live them out the other night Aaron and I were watching gilmore girls if you don't judge me it's a great show it's hilarious and sarcastic anyways we were watching gilmore girls and in that episode the grandfather stated that he had learned a valuable lesson from his mother when he was young Life is a battle. And you either enter it armed or surrender immediately. I think we all act that way sometimes. Whether in life or work or friendships or disagreements, we see them as all battles that need to be won. Our selfishness calls us to win at any cost. It doesn't matter if we hurt someone or step on them, as long as we're getting ahead, that's what matters. And I think clearly that was an issue in the early church as well, as we see from James this morning, telling us, for where there is envy and selfishness, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. You see, when we're envious and we're selfish, we create disorder in our own life. And James reminds us this morning that if we want to be doers of the Word, then we have to live in peace with one another. For the wisdom from above is at first pure, then peaceable, gentle and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, for a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. See, if we desire peace in our lives, then we have to live peaceably. It's like that great hymn says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Anthony grew up surrounded by conflict and gang violence. In East Harlem, where he grew up, conflict and violence were just a way of life. And on the day that Anthony heard that his brother had been gunned down in East Harlem, he began struggling with rage that would last for years. He hated those three men who had fired 13 bullets into his brother, who was unarmed with a passion. Anthony said that he not only hated those men, but he hated everybody. He hated everything. He said, It made me into a monster. But as the years went by and the fog of anger began to lift, he started becoming active in a church. And then one summer's day, while visiting a friend in prison, he had a moment that would change his life forever. He said he looked across the room and he saw Michael, one of the men that had, that had murdered his brother. He said Michael saw him too and immediately tried to duck down and hide, expecting that there would be a fight or some kind of physical altercation to get revenge. You see, Michael had been feeling remorse and shame, unable to forgive himself for murdering another young man, and he was afraid of retaliation. Anthony walked straight up to him, looked him in the eyes, and said, Brother, I have been praying for you. I have forgiven you, and I have been praying that I would meet you and see you again. That meeting transformed both of those men's lives, who from that point on became close friends. Anthony said of the ability to forgive, there's a connection with God that can allow you to see past what is in front of you. I think in many ways, for many of us, if we had heard this story and Anthony had attacked him at the end and beaten him to a pulp, many of us probably would have said, well, you know, he, he got what he deserved. But for Anthony, who had been changed by Christ... Peace was the only way to live anymore. While Anthony's story seems like an extreme, for many of us we don't and won't have to face the person who murdered our brother or sister or family member. But while his case is an extreme, it makes me wonder That if Anthony can find peace and live in peace with the man who killed his brother, then why do we find it so hard to live in peace with one another? Think if there's one thing that Anthony taught us or has taught us it's that it's time to stop and think about the words we use, and it's time to stop and think about how we interact with others. It's time to let go of the past hurts and to begin to treat others with respect even when they're not willing to respect us. You see, for living in peace with one another means to treat one another with respect. And living in peace means to have empathy for those who are unlike ourselves. It becomes very easy to be blinded by our own views and our own understandings of the world that we forget the feelings of those whom we disagree with. We don't care what their life has been like. We don't care what they are thinking or how they may have been hurt. And the best way that we can live in peace is to earnestly try to understand the views and feelings of those who we disagree with, of those who we are in conflict with. And often when we can finally see the heart of the other person we can begin to see that our conflicts are much less divisive than we thought. And that if we can treat each other with love and respect, we can end cycles of hate. The truth is that living in peace is not an option for Christians. It's a requirement. I was talking a while back with, uh, when I was in seminary about communion. And we were talking about how we as United Methodists practice open communion. It means anybody can come take communion. You don't have to be United Methodist. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to be under a certain age or whatever weird requirements you might want to come up with. We don't have any requirements. Anybody can take communion. And another student brought up the fact. He said, we actually do have requirements to communion. And there's three of them. And after looking puzzledly they explained. There are three requirements to take communion in United Methodist Church. And it has nothing to do with church affiliation or baptism, but it has to do with one statement in our communion liturgy. Christ our Lord invites all to the table who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. That means according to what we believe as a church, to take communion, we have to desire peace with one another, and we have to live that peace out with one another. seems very strange as I think about some of the conversations I've had this last week. Because we live in a denomination that is in the midst of conflict. And it's something that we'll have to talk about soon. I don't know if you've heard of the Commission on a Way Forward, um, but it's something that we're going to be having to talk about very soon. But we're a church in conflict, specifically over the issue of human sexuality. And I've watched over the last, oh, eight to 12 years. Exactly as I described earlier, people tearing one another apart. People choosing discord and anger and conflict over peace. And yet, peace is one of the few requirements for communion. Disagreements are inevitable. Not seeing eye to eye is inevitable. Even some sense of conflict is inevitable in the church, in life in general. But how we as Christians engage in conflict is important. It's important to our spiritual lives, it's important to our practice, and it's important to how other people view Christians. So we have to be extra careful. Making sure that even when we disagree, that we treat each other with love and respect, fostering unity, rather than hurting one another and breeding division, we need to be living into peace as we've been called to do. The world is watching us as Christians. Christiansburg is watching us as a church. Your neighbors are watching you as a Christian. May the way we walk, may the way we discuss with one another be surrounded in love, that we may grow more united and not fostering anger and discord, but to live in the peace that we've been called to share with one another. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we confess that we are a people who likes conflict. We like discord. We, we like to yell. We like to be mean. We like to tear one another apart so that we can have our way. Help us, O Heavenly Father, to let those things go. To live in peace with one another. To respect each other even when we don't feel respected. To have empathy and to try to understand the feelings and views of others even when they don't want to see our view. Help us to live in peace. Help us to care for one another. That when we come to this table and when we receive this bread and when we dip it in that cup, we may truly be united with one another and with you. Amen.